Good morning. Well, if you have your Bibles, open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. You know, the, the last few weeks we have, uh, well, the last few weeks that I've been in the, the book of Corinthians, um, I, ha- I have to kind of apologize because I've been talking pretty long. Uh, <laughs> you're saying, yeah, we know. Uh, it's been something that... Uh, I've been dealing with, I guess, in a personal way so that it has affected, I don't know if you want to say the passion or the involvement that I I have been in regarding uh, this book. And I apologize for that. I'm not saying it's going to stop, but I'm apologizing for that. But as we've been going through this epistle, Paul is dealing with the nitty-gritty elements of this church that is a church living in disobedience to to what God desires and, and being blind to it. And the truth is that is us so many times. We just have this Uh, way of justifying where we're at. We have this way of being blind to correction. No one likes being corrected. And it doesn't matter who you are when someone approaches you and and says, hey, you're doing it wrong. We tend to say, what do you mean? Who are you to tell me I'm doing this wrong? And that was definitely an attitude that the Corinthian church had, especially towards Paul. They didn't recognize his authority. So in the first four chapters, he's establishing who he is and the right that he has to speak into their lives, being, in a sense, their father, being their spiritual father. And as he addresses them and he talks to them in this way, then he starts basically disciplining them. In fact, at the end of chapter four, he says, do I have to come at you with a whip? In other words, do I have to spank you? Or can I deal with you in love? And then last week we we talked about immorality in the church and how we tend to, to separate ourselves and not recognize what the church really is, that we want this to just be, you know, like the water buffalo club where we all come and, you know, we, or what are those guys who drive the little cars and wear the hats, the Shriners, you know, (laughs) always wanted one of those cars, but we, we tend to think that we're just some kind of little group that meets together and we're here to have fun and, you know, it's a social gathering and that's not who we are. That we are connected to one another and the importance of that is how it affects us and the way we live and the way we act and that we have a responsibility to each other. And he's going to continue now just talking about these kinds of things. But now he's moving on to a a different sense. He's not talking about immorality. He's talking about how they conduct themselves with one another. And, you know, when Jesus died and rose again, he inaugurated a new kingdom. And, And though this kingdom one day will be established on earth and is not yet visible, it is showing up in the lives of those who follow the king which is us who believe in Christ and follow after Christ. 
And the awareness and the reality of this kingdom is to influence how we conduct ourselves, how we live among each other and in the world around us. It is to be seen in us. And what was taking place in the Corinthian church is the idea of this kingdom really wasn't something that was prominent. It wasn't something that was visible in them. And we have to look and see, is it visible in us? Because here in this community where the characteristics of the kingdom were not present, where the principles of how the church is supposed to be were neglected and non-existent. In other words, those who were outside would look at this group and say, you're no different than anybody else. You're no different than the Shriners or whoever. What's the difference? Because the kingdom was not evident in their lives. And so in this portion, we're going to be dealing with legal issues. But more than that, we're dealing with relational conflict. And let's read verses 1 through 11 together, and then we'll go back through it. Verse 1, chapter 6, it says, If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you were to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that you will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to your shame. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong And you do this to your brothers. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed and you were sanctified and we're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. As he addresses this group, and he, he talks about these legal matters that are taking place, he, he basically makes this contrast. When he says the ungodly, he, he's talking about those who are a part of the world as opposed to those who belong to Christ. And this isn't meant to make them feel better about themselves or to make them proudful. And neither is the idea that you are going to judge the world or judge angels. And we really don't know what that's going to look like. We don't have a lot of information of how that's going to take place. And that's not the point. So the point isn't to talk about how we're going to judge the world or how we're going to judge angels and what that looks like. The point that he's making here is that your judgment is different than that of those who are in the world. It is mindful of eternity, mindful of this other kingdom that you belong to. 
You know, we live in a society where the idea of legal matters, what's right and wrong, is two different things. If it's legal, it's right. And there's so many times in a court situation where all you have to do is prove the legality of the situation and never mind the morality of the situation. And that's not to be the case here with the people. They are to be mindful of eternal things so that it's not just a matter of doing this or acting this way or getting your just deserves. And what this is probably regarding is actually a... a, dispute regarding property. Most likely that's the case. And as they are dealing with this issue, this conflict within them, it doesn't take place between a family. It takes place in the court system. And Paul's saying that's not necessary. You don't need to do that. And he says in verse 2, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? In other words, if you are going to be responsible for eternal things, can't you deal with small things? And as he goes on in verse 4, he says, Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I, I don't think he's setting up a class of who's going to judge. I think he's basically making the point that even someone in little status should be able to judge these matters. But that's not the case. You're, you're not letting that happen. And he's telling them basically three things in this point. He, he wants them to understand that they can deal with these things and that anyone is better of a judge than that of the world. That in all these things, they are supposed to have wisdom that is from God. And you see, the Corinthians boasted in this, this Sophia, this wisdom. They were so proudful, prideful, proudful, I don't think. Mary informed me that I was making up words last week. Uh, <laughs> but as long as the rest of you didn't catch them, that's okay. Uh, they were very prideful in their wisdom their spirituality. They were very prideful in that they had this ability to be connected to God, and yet Paul is saying, your wisdom can't even deal with small matters. And, and you see, this is the contradiction that we live in. So many times we have this idea that we are spiritual because, oh, I feel so close to God, and I have this understanding, and God ministers to me, but the day-to-day -day conduct of our lives betrays us. It, it, it betrays how we are living and what we are doing. And Paul is confronting them on this, challenging them that this is not to be the case, that you are kingdom people. In verse 6 he says, but instead one brother goes against the law of another, and this in front of the unbelievers. You belong to the kingdom. You are kingdom people that are supposed to be mindful of these things. You have an alternate humanity with a spiritual destiny that is in Christ. You need to deal with your conflict in the community of who you are as believers, as brothers, as sisters, as family. 
And so they are connected again to this kingdom, this alternate humanity that is supposed to rule how they deal with these things. But it wasn't the case. They weren't allowing these things to happen. And and they need to learn how to deal with these things. And Paul indeed tells them that they are capable of dealing with these things. In fact, he gives them three things to show them that they are indeed capable. First of all, he tells them that they're capable because they have the Spirit of God in them. They have the Scriptures to give them instruction, and they have each other. They have a community that is able to help them deal with circumstances so that they can move forward with these areas. And maybe this isn't an area where you are are dealing with as far as a legal matter. Maybe the area that you're dealing with is just in the area of conflict. I know that there is a family who had to go through some very difficult legal situations. And they tried to do this the right way. They tried to go before an elder in a church and a pastor and talk to this other family and say, can we work this out? But the other family would not move forward in that way. And so it went before the court system. And maybe that's not the case with us. Usually that isn't as common as just dealing with the problem just dealing with the attitudes that are there. Today we even have lawyers who are followers of Christ who are able to mediate in these kinds of circumstances so that it stays at least in this family, in this kingdom mentality, and isn't just presented that these two people who follow Christ can't deal with it. You see, we need to know where our future is going. We need to have the capacity to deal with this. We need to recognize that Everything that has to deal with our lives is connected to our relationship to Jesus Christ. That there is not a separation when it comes to legal terms. You come to church and you sing and you lift your hands, but then you're going to sue this guy because he ripped you off for the repair in your car. And he's saying, that can't happen. That's not supposed to happen. You have the capacity to deal with this. Another reason that they need to deal with this conflict is because you preserve the community's integrity. In other words, when you keep conflict in the community, you protect and honor the family that God has created. Now, parents, you you know about this if you have kids and things happen in your family. You don't want the whole neighborhood and all the other kids to know about what Johnny did. You know, the Johnny came home drunk. Oh, let's, I can't wait to tell everyone. It's like, shh, shh, you know, let's, let's not tell everybody that Johnny came home drunk. And if your name's Johnny, I'm sorry. <laughs> the idea is, you know, let's keep this in our family. The world doesn't need to know all of our problems. And the integrity of Christ gets brought down. This, this isn't something that is common for us today because church is a place where you go to, you kind of smorgasbord what church you like. I like this one. I like the music. I like the teacher. I like the atmosphere. We got a new screen, by the way. Uh, 
you know, whatever it is that makes this place, and you kind of sample, but it's not something that you are connected to. It's no longer, this is my family, this is where I belong, this is where I invest my life, this is where I invest my time and allow people to invest their lives in me. We've lost that. And church is no longer this kind of community. It's become just an organization, a club, a social gathering. And we talked about that a little bit more last week, how our actions actually affect those around us, just like the actions in a family affect the members of that family. And and so there needs to be an understanding of this identity and that you have to realize that what we do affects the integrity of this family to recognize that there is something bigger going on in your life, and in this community. And I know it's hard to see and understand. You come in here and, well, maybe you came here Tuesday when it was, you know, learn tap dancing or something. You know, my daughter had a dance class in this very room, you know, and I remember her, you know, learning to dance, and I remember the teacher telling the parents that they couldn't stay and watch their kids dance, and I thought, what, what's that about? You know, I want, I, that's why we're here, you know, I want to watch my kid look silly. Um, That's the enjoyment you get from being a parent while your kids are small. Anyway, this room, it it could be just a room where a lot of events take place or something spiritually can be taking place while we gather here, while we talk to one another about the important issues of our life, as we invest in one another, the spiritual things that are eternal that last, as we open up the scriptures and they speak eternal life to us, that this is no longer just a recreation center, that this becomes a place where important, eternal things take place. And if we devalue that, it's easy then to have these kinds of attitudes with one another, to belittle what God is doing and make little of it. And so... Paul's telling them that when you deal with this conflict in your community, you uphold the integrity of the family. You're keeping these things above board and not allowing them to be polluted by the world. He also tells them another thing that they can do is how we conduct ourselves. It actually testifies to the gospel that we believe in. How you conduct yourself is proof of who Jesus is. It's proof that he really did make a difference in your life. It's proof that you are being influenced by something other than just the world around you and the society around you. That you think about these things enough to allow them to impact the everyday status of your life. And we all want a genuine relationship with God. But we're all afraid to bring that in that investment with one another in this community. To make ourselves vulnerable and open. But that is a necessary thing so that the world can see who we are because we actually love one another. Because we actually care for one another. And so Paul is telling them, you need to learn to deal with this conflict You have the capacity to deal with it. You preserve the 
the community's integrity, and also you testify to who God is when you deal with conflict among each other. If you can't, then what's the difference? What good is this God you believe in if he's not able to affect your relationship with one another? And this is a difficult thing because we do have conflict with people so many times. And if we allow that to be known, it brings down who we really are. I know that there have been times in my life where I have had situations with another person, a follower of Christ, where I've been hurt or perhaps they've been hurt. And the tendency is to want to retaliate. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. You talking bad about me, I'm going to talk bad about you. That's our tendency. And Paul is saying, you can't do that. It wouldn't, wouldn't it be better to get someone else and for you two to talk it out? And, and that's what I did in, in my situation. We got someone else, and basically it came to a place where we agree. We're, we're not going to belittle the body of Christ by serving, by trying to hurt one another. That, that's not going to be our intent. So that we can still honor Christ with our lives even though we have a disagreement or a dispute or have been hurt. That there's something more important that is going on here. And when we Christians behave badly or fail to behave well, we are making Christianity unbelievable to those outside. When we fail to recognize the importance, we are making this a problem for those outside. Now, now this goes all the way from, again, the lawsuits to the small conflicts, broken relationships. You know, if you come to church and someone has hurt you or you don't like that person, do you ignore them? And now the church has become a place that's cold? Oh, they're so-and-so. I don't want to deal with them. Wouldn't it be better to at least get that out of the way? It doesn't mean you have to invite them over for Thanksgiving dinner. But you have to recognize that there's something more important that is taking place. There's something more that is going on. And the goal is to deal with this, to, to bring a mending and a healing unity into this area. In verses 7 and 8, he says, The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. A while ago on, uh, I think it was 2020, you know, they do these things that um, basically are embarrassing for people. They have this kind of hidden camera going on. And they wanted to see how people deal with a situation when they've been basically wronged and then the person who has wronged them benefits. And so they had the situation, they're in a grocery store, they're in a shop, you know, a supermarket, and they show this couple, this, you know, small woman and her husband, and this guy comes in and he just, and you guys have been there, he walks in and he just gets in front of them in the line 
And then he says, oh, I'm, you know, I've only got a couple things. Is it okay if, I, if I'm here? And it's like, well, you already are. You know, you just kind of walked in there. You know, and you could see this lady. She's like a feisty thing. And her husband's, you know, trying to keep from getting in a fight because of her, you know. <laughs> and, and, you know, this guy comes in. And the guy was great. The guy's like eating a sandwich while he's walking in line. You know, he's going to, basically, he's going to scan garbage, you know, because he's already eating everything that he's, you know, in line for. And so he just walks in, he cuts in front of them and he's eating the sandwich and goes, oh, you know, I just got a few things. Is it okay if I'm in line? And you could see that she's a little irked. And the husband's like, hey, it's okay. You know, it's okay. The guy's bigger than me. Leave him alone. And so the guy gets in line and she's like, yeah, I guess. Okay. And so the guy gets in line and then, you know, they scan his thing. And all of a sudden these this music starts playing and these balloons fall and he's the one millionth customer. And he's like, what? Oh, and of course the camera is focused on this lady, right? Who all of a sudden is like, what? And then they give him a check for $500. And she starts going on about, wait a second, wait a second. I, I, I was that person. I'm that person. And no, no one's listening to her. And the guy's, you know, like going, what are you talking about? No, I was here. You know, I'm in line. And the husband's just like, I don't know what to do. This is going to get ugly. You know, it's just going on like this. And, and, you know, we see this woman and we think, oh my gosh, she's totally losing it. But let's face it, that's each of us. We feel the same way. And if we don't say something, even in our Christian, you know, containment, we're biting our lip and we're thinking, oh, I'd like to kill this guy. How dare you? I could use $500. That should be mine. That should be mine. And we have that sense about us. We have that feeling. We want to see justice. Now, it's an amazing thing. Because when we hurt somebody, when we do something wrong, we want grace. We want mercy. And we want it quickly. I'm sorry. I said I'm sorry. Scripture says you have to forgive me. Why don't you just get it over with, okay? Just let's forgive and forget. You know, let's move on. But when someone hurts us, we don't think, Oh boy, they've hurt me. I can't wait to forgive them. We want justice. And we don't just want little justice. We want apocalyptic justice. <laughs> we want revelation, the seven bowls of wrath justice. We want there to be a heap of ashes smoldering and them to understand the wrong that they've done to us and us to be able to say, that's what you get for treating me this way. And we all do it because we live in a place where our rights matter. It's all about the rights that we have. And my rights are more important than your rights. We don't say that out loud, but we feel that within. And this matter that is taking place of injustice and someone's been wronged and we need to deal with this. Paul talks about this and basically he says the fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've already been completely defeated. Everyone loses. And you think, how can everyone lose, Paul? I mean, yeah, the one person was wrong, they're losing, but the other person who did the wrong, they're actually winning. 
And the church is just washing its hands and saying, oh, it's a personal matter. You guys deal with it however you want to. We don't care. And Paul's saying, no, you guys, everybody loses. And you think, well, how is it that everybody loses? Well, the plaintiff, the one who was wronged, basically, and is taking this person to court or is dealing with this matter in this way, is basically saying, my faith is so weak that it can't endure injury from another person. In other words, I don't have enough trust and faith in God over the situation that I have to do something about it, and so I have to make sure that my wrong is known, even if it is in the public venue. And he's saying, you've lost. Your faith isn't strong enough to deal with this, and so you have to take this before the world. And the person who actually has done the wrong, he's saying, you are so messed up, you are wronging your brother, and you don't realize that there is judgment that is going to take place that you are going to have to deal with. There is a judge who is over you at one point that this is going to happen to you. He doesn't even realize that... God is looking, and he is the one who's going to answer to God for the things that he did. He thinks he's getting away with this, taking advantage of this person. And we all know people like that. You know, the guy's smiling there with a check of $500, and he has got verses that says, you have to forgive me. And he's got the goofy little smile, and you want to smack him. <laughs> and you're thinking, that's just not right. And he's thinking, I won, I won. And he's saying, you've lost. You've lost. You are unaware of what's going on. And, and the church, the community is lost because their citizenship to the kingdom of heaven is not big enough to deal with this issue. You've lost because your integrity has now been brought down. And, and Paul goes to the point that says, why not rather be wronged? You see, he says it would be better if you allowed yourself to be wronged, then to allow the kingdom to be brought down. And I wonder if that mentality even resonates within us, that we see ourselves so much as a part of this kingdom that we're more concerned with how that takes place and what that looks like instead of us just being right. This is a difficult situation. The truth is, I don't think that we can actually deal with this in the way that it's meant to be dealt with. I mean, it's such a difficult thing. The kingdom, there is this new economy when it comes to our rights. In the kingdom, you overcome evil with good. In the kingdom, the first shall be last. Jesus said, but I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Is that a common practice in your life? Is that something that we even go to? Or is it all about our rights? And he's not saying that if you're in a business, you need to take care of your business. He's talking about a community of believers. He's talking about how we deal with each other. And, and you see, we are to recognize this kingdom mentality that when someone hurts us, we are to bless them. Why? Because we belong to this new economy. This is how we live our lives. This is how we conduct ourselves. And, and so we need to ask, is the kingdom real to us? Is this way of thinking 
infiltrating our lives so that our conduct is controlled by who we are. You know, if you read history, you will find that those who followed Christ did the most good in this world whose thoughts were mostly on the next world. In other words, those who had this kingdom mentality are the ones who did the greatest good here in our reality. And, and vice versa as well, that those who have ceased to think about the kingdom are the ones who have become ineffective in reaching anybody for Christ because there is no substance in their life. The kingdom of heaven, I don't think about it. It doesn't influence me, and so my life influences nobody. And Paul says, you've all lost. It would be better if you were wronged. It'd be better if you were cheated. Instead, you yourselves cheat, do wrong, and you do it to your brother. You're wronging your brother? How can that be? And so he calls them on this. And I know that a lot of us have been hurt. You might be here and say, you know, the church has hurt me. And I'm not going to say that's not so. I know that that's what happens when you get a group of people together. That's part of life. There, there is wrong that gets done to us. If you're here long enough, you'll probably get hurt by somebody. But is your faith in God strong enough to deal with the hurt that would come into your life? Or are you going to run away? I'm going to go find another community because that one hurt me. I'm going to go find another family. And you go from family to family to family, trying, and really it's not a family at all. You just go and sample this, sample that, sample this, and you never get to become a family because your faith isn't strong enough to deal with the circumstance because you are kingdom people, we're not to demand justice. We're not to ignore the wrongs that are done. We extend grace and enter into the true meaning of the cross with one another. The kingdom mentality is supposed to influence how we deal with one another. And just as this weight is going to come upon them, and how do then we deal with this hurt? What do you do when you, you've been wronged and when this happens to you? And Paul gives a very strong warning. In verse 9 he says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And as he comes down and he, he lays these words out, you could feel the sweat going down the back of their neck. You could feel the weight of these words pressing on them, whether they are greedy or involved in an adulterous relationship. The judgment of God is now coming down and closing in around them. And, and just as this is happening, as they're recognizing their condition, and he's saying, you know, you need to see this as it really is. You need to make sure that you're in the kingdom because if you want these things, if you want that greed, if you want that relationship that is wrong more than you want to be identified with Christ, then maybe you're not a part of the kingdom. 
if you want to be defined by this list more than defined by Christ, then what kingdom do you belong to? And as they hear the words in these lists, and I mean, you know, we focus on the, the big ones. You know, we might focus on the ones that at least don't apply to us. You know, I'm not a male prostitute, you know, but am I greedy? Am I involved with drunkenness? Do those things weigh on me? And just as the pressure of these things come upon them, as it sinks in their hearts and weighs heavy on their conscience, he brings out this beautiful gospel sentence. And that is what some of you were. You see, in this, this one sentence just brings to light what is taking place and what Paul is trying to get across here. That used to be your identity. And he goes on and he says, but you were washed. You see, you used to identify that, that way, but now you've been washed. You've been washed by what? By the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, you were sanctified. That means you were, you were set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You were made right. You used to be like that. That's not who you are. And what Paul is saying is, be who you are. You're kingdom people. You need to recognize that that is who you are. The truth is, I don't think that I can do this by myself, that I need help. And unless we've been captured by Jesus, who has forgiven us, who has taken our lives and redeemed us, I don't think we can live this kind of life unless this life is a reality to us. In 1 Peter 2.23, it says, When they hurled insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. How could he entrust himself to him who judges justly? He had a relationship. He was captured by his father. And unless we are captured by Jesus and this relationship with him, we can't live this kind of life. We will constantly want to assert ourselves, get our own rights, and not trust God and trust ourselves to him who judges justly. The one who had the right to retaliate in the end didn't. Jesus had the right. He didn't. And until we fall in love with this Jesus and the Holy Spirit is duplicated in us, then we are going to constantly give ourselves over to wanting to assert our own rights. And God would tell us here at Genesis and would tell us who follow after Christ, your kingdom people, be who you are. Allow this to be your identity. We need to live this resurrected life. Let's pray. Father, I, I know this is a difficult thing for us so many times to embrace when we're being wronged, when we have been hurt. And God, I pray that we would learn how to trust you for these matters, that we would recognize our identity in you, that we would truly be who we are, that, Lord, you are the God of all flesh. There is nothing too difficult to, for you. And more important than my rights, more important than whether I've been wronged or not, is who you are in me and how that is portrayed, how that comes out. 
that I would conduct myself in a manner that is worthy of you. And Lord, to do that, we need your help. And so, Lord, we pray that you would continue to remind us of who we are, that we belong to you, that we would not seek justice at all costs, but we would seek unity, that we would seek to be your people and seen as your people from the world around us. Father, may our priorities be right. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.